As we continue to dwell in this image, I invite you to hear this story from John 4, 1 to 42. Mm-hmm. Let the Spirit continue to dwell with us as we receive the word. Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was making more disciples and baptizing more than John, although Jesus' disciples were baptizing, not Jesus himself. Therefore, he left Judea and went back to Galilee. Jesus had to go through Samaria. He came to a Samaritan city called Sychar, which was near the land Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. Jesus was tired from his journey, so he sat down at the well. It was about noon. A Samaritan woman came to the well to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me some water to drink. His disciples had gone into the city to buy some food. The Samaritan woman asked, why do you, a Jewish man, ask for something to drink from me, a Samaritan woman? Jews and Samaritans didn't associate with each other. Jesus responded, if you recognized God's gift and who is saying to you, give me some water to drink, you would be asking him and he would give you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you don't have a bucket and the well is deep. Where would you get this living water? You aren't greater than our father Jacob, are you? He gave this well to us and he drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks from the water that I will give will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give becomes in those who drink it a spring of water that bubbles up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I will never be thirsty and will never need to come to draw water. Jesus said to her, go get your husband and come back here. The woman replied, I don't have a husband. You are right to say I don't have a husband, Jesus answered. You have had five husbands, and the man you are with now isn't your husband. You've spoken the truth. The woman said, sir, I see you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you and your people say that it isn't necessary to worship in Jerusalem. Jesus said to her, Believe me, woman, the time is coming when you and your people will worship God, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You and your people worship what you don't know. We worship what we know because salvation is from the Jews. But the time is coming and is here when true worshipers will worship in spirit and in truth. God looks for those who worship this way. God is spirit and it is necessary to worship God in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that the Messiah is coming, the one who is called the Christ. When he comes, he will teach everything to us. Jesus said to her, I am the one who speaks with you. Just then, Jesus' disciples arrived and were shocked to find him talking to a woman. But no one asked, what do you want? Or why are you talking to her? The woman put down her water jar and went into the city. She said to the people, come and see a man who has told me everything I've done. Could this man be the Christ? They left the city and were on their way to see Jesus. In the meantime, the disciples spoke to Jesus asking or saying, Rabbi, eat. Jesus said to them, I have food to eat that you don't know about. 
The disciples asked each other, has someone brought him food? Jesus said to them, I am fed by doing the will of the one who sent me and by completing God's work. Don't you have a saying? Four months more and it's time for the harvest. Look, I tell you, open your eyes and notice that the fields are already ripe for harvest. Those who harvest are receiving their pay and gathering the fruit for eternal life so that those who sow and those who harvest can celebrate together. This is a true saying that one sows and another harvests. I have sent you to harvest what you didn't work for. Others worked hard and you will share their hard work. <clears throat> Many Samaritans in that city believed in Jesus because of the woman's word when she testified. He told me everything that I've ever done. So when the Samaritans came to Jesus, they asked him to stay with them. And he stayed there for two days. Many more believed because of his word. And they said to the woman, we no longer believe because of what you said, for we have heard for ourselves and know that this one is truly savior of the world. For the word of God in scripture, for the word of God among us, for the word of God within us. Thanks be to God. Our next song in response to this word is, I heard the voice of Jesus say. I heard the voice of Jesus say, come unto me and rest. Lay down, O weary one, lay down your head upon my breast. I came to Jesus as I was so The story that we have gazed upon and heard, I want to now spend some time walking through and noticing some things with you. So we'll start with that, with story and with noticing. And then I will conclude with a biblical experiment in decolonization. 
we learn from John at the start of this story that Jesus had to go through Samaria, which geographically is not exactly factual. Jesus didn't geographically need to go through Samaria to get where he was going, which opens us up to understanding John's words here to be theologically and ministerially true. Jesus had to go through Samaria for his ministry. As Willard Swartley writes in his commentary on this Gospel of John, many of you may know Willard Swartley is a Mennonite professor at the Mennonite Seminary. <clears throat> and he gives a couple of examples that he offers as contemporary parallels. I invite you to listen. Palestinians ride buses into Jewish neighborhoods to oppose the current apartheid Israel imposes upon the Palestinians. Rosa Parks remains seated in the front seat to protest racial segregation even when she is told to sit in the back. White Americans drive into a quote unquote township in South Africa in 1982 to visit quote unquote colored friends when they know it violates prevailing social boundaries. Jesus risks going through Samaria, knowing he could be stoned to death. Jesus had to go through Samaria. Not because geography demanded it of him, but because his sense of his ministry and purpose did. John tells us that Jesus was tired from his journey, and so he sat down at a well in the noonday sun. And when he asks a woman from Samaria for a drink of water in that hot noonday sun, she replies, why do you, a Jewish man, ask for something to drink from me, a Samaritan woman? And then John tells us in this very quaint way that Jews and Samaritans don't associate with one another. That's a little polite. <laughs> it's a little understated on the part of John. What we know is that there was mutual disdain, mutual animosity between these two groups of people, a deep religious and theological divide that we'll hear a little bit more later about a little bit more later, and even some violence. These two ought not be talking to one another. That's what all the cultural assumptions and categories, the religious lines would demand of them is to not talk to one another. And yet Jesus isn't playing that game. And neither is the woman. In fact, from the moment he asks for a drink of water, rather than ignoring him, staying silent, she engages him in conversation and asks the piercing question, why are you? asking this of me. And then they're off and running, these two. When Jesus reveals that he knows something of her home life and her personal story, the woman says, hmm, I see you are a prophet. And her next words are, 
our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but you and your people say that it is necessary to worship in Jerusalem. And in this moment, she has hit on the exact central dispute, the most pressing dispute between her people and his. So she acknowledges, sir, I see you're a prophet. And then without passing go and without collecting $200, she immediately cuts to the chase, challenging him, engaging him, uh, offering this deep theological question that is at the heart of the conflict between their two peoples. And then they engage in theological conversation, which is just such a delight. When the woman responds to this theological conversation with Jesus by saying, hmm, I know the Messiah is coming. And when he's here, he'll teach us everything. She brings up the concept of the Messiah on which her people and Jesus's people are waiting. And Jesus's response to her is, I am. Simply, I am. It is the exact response that God offers to Moses when Moses says, when I go to the people and tell them all this, who should I say sent me? And God's response is, I am. And now we have John putting that, those exact words in the mouth of Jesus. I am drawing that link. The woman for whom this is sacred scripture absolutely knows exactly what Jesus is referencing. That is intriguing enough to her that when the disciples come and are shocked to see that these two are having a conversation across some cultural and religious divides that ought not be happening, they don't say anything, but they are shocked. She takes the opportunity to go back into the city and to talk with her people and to tell them about her experience with this Jewish man at the well. And what I find so wonderful about her testimony to her people, she extends an open invitation. What she says is, come and see. It's another phrase that we have already heard a couple times in the Gospel of John, and we'll hear more. She extends the same invitation that Jesus has. Come and see. There is this man. Could this man be the Christ? The woman doesn't interpret her experience or tell the people what she thinks they ought to believe about the man. What she says is come and see an invitation. And she poses a question, could this be? And that invitation, an open-ended question is invitational enough that many, many people from the city come out to the well to see for themselves, to see and to witness and then to tell is a primary mark of discipleship in John throughout the gospel of John. So this woman is one of the first disciples like John the Baptist, like Andrew, like Philip. She is a first disciple. Willard Swartley in his commentary on this gospel says she is the gospel's first and only believer whose witness wins the conversion of many hometown people. And indeed, her invitation to come and see 
And her question, could this be? Which draws the people out to the well to encounter Jesus for themselves. John tells us that many Samaritans in the city believed in Jesus because of the woman's word when she testified. And those people who came out to come and see for themselves, they asked Jesus to stay with them. And he did for two days. And many more people came to believe. This is a story of many things. But today, from what I notice, this is a story of crossing religious and cultural norms and lines and expectations to have a genuine encounter and conversation with the other. This is a story about how those boundary crossing encounters can lead to life. This is a story about living water, about water that sates all thirst, about water that sates the thirst for righteousness and for justice, for a people who are longing for more. With that in mind, I now turn to a biblical experiment in decolonization which comes from this volume, edited volume, Unsettling the Word. This was edited by Steve Heinrichs, who is the director of Settler Indigenous Relations for Mennonite Church Canada. And this biblical experiment in decolonization, Stolen Waters, Thirsty People, is written by Suzanne Gunther Lowen, a Mennonite pastor and theologian north of the border in Canada. Stolen waters, thirsty people. I invite you to uh, do whatever you might need to do to listen well. Maybe it's changing your posture a bit. Maybe it's extending a hand. Maybe it's closing your eyes. Maybe it's doodling. Maybe it's any number of things that it might be for you that helps you to listen. He could have gone to any of the 85 indigenous communities in Canada that are currently under boil water advisories, but he chose to go to Shoal Lake 40 First Nation or Kikikotibi, Hawk River. This is the one that supplies the city of Winnipeg with water. The one where the city's aquifer cuts the community off from the mainland. The one that gives drink to three quarters of a million people, but whose own people go thirsty. So he took the small, slow barge from the mainland and arrived on the shore of the artificial island. Tired from his journey, he sat down by the community hall. It was about noon. A woman came to haul her water, the blue plastic jugs a heavy burden, and he said to her, could I have a drink? His friends had gone to Kenora to buy food. She said to him, how is it that you, an outsider, ask a drink of me, a member of this community? No one usually came to Shoal Lake 40 to drink the water. 
I should be asking you for a drink of water, she joked. If you ask me, he said, I would give you living water. The woman turned, said to him, but you have no water jug. You have nothing to boil water in. Where would you get that living water? He said to her, you're right. Today, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but those who drink of their own living water will never be thirsty. One day soon, living water will become in you a spring of pure, clean water gushing up to sustain your children forever. The woman said to him, I hope so. We've been longing and working for this water so that we may never be thirsty or have to keep coming here to haul water. He said to her, go, call your husband and come back. She answered, I have no husband. He said to her, you're right in saying that you have no husband. You lost him last winter when he fell through the ice trying to cross to the mainland. This community has suffered too many years of broken promises ever since that aquifer was built 100 years ago from the disturbed bones of your ancestors. The woman looked at him for a while. Then she said to him, I see you know about our history. We've been passed back and forth between levels of government for decades. No one wants to take responsibility for honoring the treaties. Our people say that this land and water are sacred that this is where we meet creator. But for the settlers, land and water are just resources to be bought and sold. That's what's sacred to them. He said to her, believe me, the hour is coming when the treaties will be honored, when settlers and indigenous peoples will bless each other, when the spirit of true reconciliation will no longer be a far off dream, but will dwell among us. The hour is coming and is now here when Jews and Christians will remember what their sacred scriptures say. Let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. The woman said to him, I know that our freedom road is coming, and once it's built, we'll no longer be cut off. We'll be able to clean our water and quench our thirst again. Jesus said to her, I know what it's like to be thirsty. I'm the one who once said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. And I am with you as you continue to work for justice, for the living water that will sustain your children and grandchildren forever. God bless you in the hearing of this word and in the hearing of this biblical experiment in decolonization. Amen.